Welcome to the Thorn City Syndicate Spotlight Show. In this episode, we turn the spotlight on Andrew Morgan, a multifaceted individual who has worn various hats and roles such as management, police chaplaincy, and community service. Join us as we unravel his journey and explore the challenges he faced, the transformative moments that shaped his path, and the initiatives he spearheads to make a positive impact. Discover the storytelling project and the naturally beautiful project, vehicles through which he empowers youth, educates families, and advocates for meaningful change. His dedication to education, community building, and advocacy creates a narrative of empowerment and service. This is more than just a podcast. It's an opportunity to gain insights, be inspired, and join the conversation. Thorn City Podcast Guy, let's go. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the Thorn City Syndicate Spotlight Show, where we network and build discussions through network and build connections through interviews and discussions. This episode is brought to you by GMP Podcast Group. I'm your host, Thorn City Podcast Guy. Make sure you visit www.thorncitysyndicate.com. Hit that like, share, and subscribe button. Get the bonus episodes, exciting updates, and new releases. Today, I got another special guest in the spotlight. Mr. Andrew Morgan. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. How you doing today? I'm doing good, man. I can't complain. It don't do you any good anyways. It won't. It won't. I'm excited to be here, man. I'm excited to get into this. Man, I appreciate you coming through, man. So today, we're going to talk about your move to Portland. We brought you here. Yeah. And we're going to talk about all the many hats you wear, your impact in the community. Then we'll wrap it up and highlight the Naturally Beautiful project you got going on. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Man, so can you share your story on your move to Portland, how it influenced your personal and professional journey? Yeah, you know, I think uh, just to give a little bit of context, because moving here um, was a spiritual journey more than anything. And so at the time, I, I worked as a pastor uh, running a homeless shelter or running the homeless overnight portion of a shelter and recovery program. And so I was wearing many hats then. Also, uh, my night thing uh, was I was also a police chaplain at that time. And so I was always just very prayerful about everything I was doing, living life 100% just from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed. It was like about serving other people. And so would wake up, pray, and be like, all right, God, what you want me to do today? And I remember hearing God just say, like, it's time to go. And uh, I knew exactly where he meant, where you know, where where to go when he said it. So I asked my wife to pray about it because that was such a big thing to just be like, all right, we're going to move to Portland. Yeah. And so a couple of years ago, I went to a business trip uh, up in Seattle and there was a, a pastor who spoke. And I liked what he said uh, during this like conference that we was in. And so I liked everything he had said. So I went up to uh, I came down to Portland because we had some extra days after the conference. And we came down here, it was Rose City Festival and everything. And me and my wife was like walking around. Uh, and these are like spots that now that we live here, it's like, wow, it's crazy that we here. One, we never saw any of the mountains. <laughs> it never rained while we was here. So it's oh, yeah. oddly, it was like in May of 2015 oh, yeah. or something. That Rose City Festival was beautiful. We thought the city was very diverse. Uh, we were walking around old Chinatown and it was like a few homeless people here and there, but it was clean. Like, so, cause I guess they had clean, they were cleaning up for the parade. So we was like, we like this place. Look at all this diversity. And, uh, so we knew that that might be a place. There was a few other times where I thought I wanted to move out here and just had never been. So to then blessed with an opportunity to come, we knew 
And so when she was like, yeah, like we got to go. And uh, so we gave a 40 day notice on our uh, we was given like a date. Like we prayed some more and was like be out by August 1st. And it just ironically was 40 days. Mm -hmm. Um, So we left. We left the jobs. Uh, We had no jobs waiting on us here. We had no place to live. We just got on that plane on August 13th out of just sheer obedience. Man. Grabbed an Airbnb, and within three days, you know, like, we found where we were supposed to live. They initially said no over the phone, but then my wife went in there and was just like, nah, God said this is where we're going to live. Yeah. So <laughs> she walked in and walked out with keys. There you go. <laughs> and we've been in that same spot since, and uh, we hit this point where, you know, we were sitting there, and I uh, went, I had connections with the American Gospel Rescue Mission and some of the other places around town through, uh, I was like, and not to sound facetious, but I was good at my job. Yeah. So my my uh, shelter was best practices for around the country. So a lot of people knew of me or knew of the people I worked for at best. Mm-hmm. And so I had no problem connecting with the sheltered people here. Got a chance to go and meet with a couple of them. And uh, both of them were like, you know, we don't have anything that you're like. It would all be underqualified jobs. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you more than welcome to come, but we don't have anything for a director. We only have things for like overnight shelter, you know, person or something. Yeah. And so kind of sat there and was like, man, this is crazy. And at the time I did a podcast that was about mental health. And one of the questions that my co-host had asked as we were challenging people to like pursue their dreams was what would you do if money wasn't an issue? Like, what would you do right now? A lot. And so I asked my wife that question and she said, I guess I would do hair. Hair. Okay. So we had some money saved enough to probably pay rent for a year. And we didn't really have money saved. Let me just say <laughs> we had our 401k. Oh, yeah. And so like saved that we money. went with that. Yeah, we went yeah. and we came here with that. And uh, so we sacrificed, you know, multiple months rent to start. Uh, the beauty shop out of our garage. Mm. We brought little stuff to try to dress it up, a little cheap chair off of Amazon. We did everything we could to make it seem nice. We went down, uh, my wife went down the street. There's uh, only one other black uh, family in our neighborhood. And she said, you know, yo, can I do your, can I do your hair? Yeah. And she gave them, the two women, at, you know, two of the younger women down the street, some box braids and it, everything started from there. Mm. And so once we got that established, we then got the Naturally Beautiful Project established. And then I sat there one day and I was like, so what about me? I asked myself that same question. Mm. And I went ahead and I restarted. Um, I'd already had an LLC in, in, in Tulsa, but it was around photography. And I said, I want to make film. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I want to be a filmmaker. So... I decided to start a media company and I knew how to do podcasting. So I started going and hanging out where filmmakers were and start suggesting to them how to repurpose their media that wasn't making the cut and turn it into podcasting. End up getting a few different universities as clients and uh, start consulting for a few major uh, religious organizations, denominations and and that's how it, it started the entrepreneurial path as well as the social entrepreneur path. Because for each business me and my wife started, we've started a social entrepreneur, like a, a actual nonprofit 
to be adjacent to the work so that we can make sure that we're giving back out of the gift that we was freely given. So that that's kind of how, that's the story of how we got here. Yeah. And um, that's, you know, it kind of answers a couple of questions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, you guys definitely took a leap of faith, man. Yeah. It sounds like it worked out for you. No, it has so far. It's been, it's been a blessing to create community. Um, it, it is, you know, as you know, it turned out to not be diverse. No. <laughs> <laughs> but we started both uniquely down a path of trying to find black people, bringing black mm-hmm. people into our homes. And, you know, when we had the shop in our home. And so we ended up kind of creating our own community, linking up with black people that was giving us a chance to do their hair. And so we started creating our own community and our own family. And there you go. And try to avoid the toxic nature of just complaining like, oh, it's so white here. But yeah. it's like, but I'm black. So you're black. And it's, it's, so I'm, I'm here. <laughs> it's not a lot of black people here per se, but yeah. it's more than people think from the outside yeah they just think it's like no black people here yeah <laughs> yeah no and, and more than likely like us we came from the midwest like we didn't come from atlanta yeah like outside <laughs> of like atlanta or some pocket yeah, uh, uh, of, of a large yeah city yeah. like you're yeah more than likely like i'm from kansas city you know we got this space in kansas city that's ours mm-hmm. but for the most part no like the rest of the city is is predominantly white like yeah. same thing in in <laughs> dallas like yeah. i lived in oak cliff and we was black in Oakland. Yeah. Everything else, yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> it is it's a different is. story. Every everywhere you go, so it's the same thing in Tulsa, Oklahoma. North Tulsa was us. Everywhere else was them. Yeah, yeah. So with your background in podcasting and broadcast radio, yeah, can you highlight any particular memorable projects that um, changed your career? I think the the best part of doing some of that work was uh, I worked my very first, well, my second job. My first job, I was actually just a board operator. Uh, for a conservative Christian talk radio station. I just had to sit there and then just cut it up, cut it down. That was it. But my my second job was working for a place called uh, Perry Broadcasting, owned by a black man, black radio. Uh, that's where I really cut my teeth and got a chance to like learn management and radio and got a chance to be the program director. Uh, not program director. Uh, geez. Uh, I did the commercials. I cannot think yeah. of the, the title that I had, but... I got a chance to, you know, be in charge of the commercial packages and things of that nature. Production director. So oh, there it is. And um, it was fun meeting people from around the country. We were like number 55 markets. So we would get those cats that were in New York, in L.A. on the weekends and needed to get their first gig. Mm-hmm. And so they would come and cut their teeth as the main person with us. So that was that was fun because I learned how to do remotes and go out and do things. And then that's where I learned podcasting, ironically, was I had a talk show and there was after show that was like, and then I wasn't like the popular, like the main DJ. So like mm-hmm. the celebrity came to town, then what I could do is like pull him to the side into the production room and be like, yo, let me get a, like three, three questions with you real quick <laughs> on my show on Sunday. And then I would be able to post those little brief interviews and stuff that I would get on this platform back in the day called Odeo, which doesn't mm-hmm. exist anymore. But um, that was my first shot into podcasting, and that was 2005, 2006, posting these, and they called them pods, mm-hmm. and I would be posting those all the time, and they was just really just clips from my air checks, clips from interviews and stuff that I was doing to extend the brand of what my show was, mm-hmm. and uh, from there, I ended up doing internet radio um, and then started some radio, uh, some started an internet radio station, and 
once that started to go belly up and people stopped listening to internet radio as much. It was a big thing for a second. It was. It was. I had like four. I had a Live 65 account, Live 365 account and had a couple of radio stations on there. And I was into it, man. It was my thing. And then once that started to go belly up, I just took the shows that I created and just parlayed them straight into being podcasts. And and that kept me in that world of podcasting. And, you know, at that point, outside of, like, I did a Kickstarter and got a little bit of money. (laughs) You know, like, but there was no money coming in for it at that point. There was really no advertisement. And then so I found a way to to get money. Like I said, once I moved here and was like, all right, this is going to be my job. Yeah. No more like, oh, man, I can do this for free. I love it. No. No, it was like. Uh It's a lot of art. Yeah, I took an old board that I had a church, a person from a church had an old board. And I would, just like we're looking at this Rodecaster, which is some people don't even want to take this thing around, right? Mm -hmm. I had a full mixing board that I would pull out the trunk (laughs) and bring in and record people. So like, yeah, like those, those was my, that was my favorite time, like working in in that part of it. Like, cause I did that stuff. And still sometimes during those times ran a photography business and sometimes had like regular nine to five, mm-hmm. which I've never been cut out for. But no, it's not for everybody. <laughs> but sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, I had to feed the kids. Yeah. Man, so man, that's been good, man. That's great, man. So we're going to take a break here, get a message from our sponsor, GMP Podcast Group, the production company, this beautiful studio in. We come back. We'll talk about your diverse hats you wear and the impact you're making in the community. Discover GMP Podcast Group Studios, located at 2406 East Burnside Street in Portland, Oregon, offering a range of podcasting packages to suit your needs, starting at just $49 per hour for your basic setup, featuring a Rodecaster Pro audio console and SM7B microphones as well as options complete with camera operator and audio engineer expertise. Elevate your podcasting with multi-camera recording, plus we capture behind-the-scenes shots within the studio. Visit us at www.gmppodcastgroup.com and let GMP Podcast Studios be where your podcasting journey begins. Cause this syndicate lyricist exists Don't blink one eye baby You just might miss History in the making From the making of this Third I guess it's welcome back to these words So I'ma come well like Welcome back words for sure Yes sir Welcome back to the Thorn City Syndicate Spotlight Show I'm your host Thorn City Podcast Guy Got my guy Andrew Morgan in the building Appreciate you coming through my guy Man, I'm I'm excited to be here, man. I'm liking it. Love yeah. it. So yeah, that was a little tune from from the artist I managed, Third Twin. Um, it's kind of how I got started. What led me to this podcast chair, started my management company to help my best friend out. Excuse me. Um, growing up, he done music. He was a hip hop artist, and so as we got older, he got caught up in the fast life. Now oh, okay. he got um got hooked on pills and alcohol, really really bad, man. My, my guy was doing bad and. He recorded a verse at his sister-in-law's house, and his nephew was recording him, and I heard it, and, man, he was sounding like he was talking to me, man. He was reaching out for help is what he was doing. And so I took that, and at the time, um, there was a lot of local music stuff going on, and I'm hearing a lot of music, and I'm like, man, my guy's better than all these people. Yeah. I want some, I need some new third twin music, and so 
decided to pay for my own third twin album. Said, let's get in the studio. Let's do a couple songs. So we did a few. We did four or five songs. We traveled and did some shows. And I needed a music video. And um, guy Mike Harrison, Calm Plus, introduced me to Justin. Um, he's a, a video production. And so we did the Honesty music video. And we entered some film festivals and we won some awards. And shortly after that Honesty music video, my buddy went and got clean. He just oh, kind of disappeared, okay. man. And he popped back up and said, man, I went and got clean, man. So now he's. That's what you got to do. Man, he's six over six plus years clean, engaged to be married this summer. He bought a house. Um, he's working over at POYC, did a great job on helping the community, and uh, man, he really got his life back, and that's all I ever wanted, man. Yeah, now that's the that's the story, man. That's the story worth telling every single time. Every time. <laughs> yeah, that's all you want to see for your people is just mm -hmm. get clean, man. Get clean, and I was that was my guy, man. I couldn't let him go down like that, man. So we got a we got a documentary coming. We put out a, a EP. Um, I got the full length LP. I've been holding on to to put out along with the documentary. Sometime in the near future, man, it's 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 deep. It's gonna touch a lot of people. Yeah, man, that's solid, man. So, you got a lot of experience, man. A lot of like I said, different hats. Um, you're pastor, um, you're working as a police chaplain. You got the radio DJ and quite a few other things. But how how some of these roles influenced each other, and what skills have you carried from one to another? I think I think for me, man, I. I think I've always put myself in a position to like just not always. Let me let me say this. I, I sometimes I do operate with a little bit of fear on on some things, but um without fear you can't be brave. There you go. And so I I the very first job, management job, first two management jobs I ever got, I was grossly underqualified, mm -hmm. but I was just naive enough to just be like, if they give it to me, I'll take it do it and they both in retrospect didn't turn out well <laughs> um and probably but they gave me enough confidence to keep going so like for me the wearing multiple hats is probably part of like the story that we hear across the diaspora like you know like us as black people we tend to be doing the most in order to break even yeah. or to just to fulfill those dreams yeah. because and it's it, it's it's a part of being a part of a system in which it you know kind of demands that of us. Mm -hmm. I think I am just now getting to a space where I'm starting to fully understand that like this concept of generational wealth means that the wealth may have to come over generations, mm -hmm. and I need to stop trying to break my back to get rich this generation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just need to learn to enjoy myself. Mm -hmm. But part of wearing a lot of hats was just like being so happy to have a job, but then also feeling like I still got to do two or three other things in order to not be seen as lazy and this, that, and other. So, yeah, like when I was doing the police chaplaincy, they had begged me to do it for a while. And then I remember Terrence Crutcher got killed. And then it made me take the police. I was doing some chaplaincy, like some advocacy work, but it was only around the homelessness. And then when uh, the police killed Terrence Crutcher, he was actually like the third black man to have been killed in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, by the police in that recent like span of a year and a half. And so different police departments were involved, but still it was like the third black body uh, that it dropped at the hands of an officer. So I was kind of like, all right, I got to get got to get involved because there was this gentleman that like you see him on the first 48. He was the person who was announcing uh, his name was Dave Walker. Like he was the one that was announcing to people like, yo, your son's dead or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
And he was a seasoned officer who had just been doing it for so long that he had a little callous to him. And so for me, part of me and a police chaplain was a combination of one, the man that I was at the time, which I was a lot more conservative, uh, two, because um, I got to own that truth. Like, I'm not going to say and pretend like I wasn't what I was. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what makes me the man I am now. And then two, it was just the honest to God truth of thinking, yo, if I'm going to make a difference, I know I'm not going to make a difference protesting or yelling or being frustrated and just talking stuff. I need to try to blow it up from within. So a part of it was like, let me get in the car with some of these cops. Let me challenge them on some of these thoughts and some of these things that they're saying. And I'm not saying that that was the right way of going about it, but it was the way I was empowered at that time. And my theory, like the way I kind of live my life is I'm not going to talk about it long. Like either I can put my hands on it or else we ain't talking about it no more. And so that's kind of what we did. Like, so I just hopped in those cars and challenged a few of them. Some of the officers, officers would complain about me. Um, and then, you know, but the main thing was I wanted to be there on death scenes to be the person that tells like that woman. I have to look, you know, I had to look people in the eye and tell them that like, yo, your son's dead, your mother's dead or whatever yeah. it might be. And, um, that's yeah. And I think that that's what happens was just like, I remember the first time I worked in the community, I wasn't an officer or a chaplain or doing anything with officers, but there was a young man named Jacob Barnes who got shot in the back of the head, getting off the bus. So I created, like, I did this like rally. And then I recognized there was like a lot of like positive black people that showed up to talk to the kids, but nobody was like touching them like mm -hmm. you could still see his boys was like ready to go and get back yeah and so i remember jacob just like his life just came and went like his legacy just kept going like or his you know like life went on and he stopped at 16 on, on that on that curve mm -hmm. and so i wanted to be a part of just trying to figure out how do i prevent that next one and so, you know, my one of my last chaplaincy calls, one of the last two chaplaincy calls that I had still stick with me to this day. One um, was a 17 year old who who was playing with a gun, allegedly with his friends and killed himself by accident. Mm -hmm. Ten feet from like he was in the garage next door, 10 feet from his mom and his dad sleep but they slept through the whole thing until I got there and knocked on the door. So like the body being on the ground for hours while the coroner came to pick him up, people in the neighborhood screaming, all this stuff, they slept through. They slept through all slept that? through all of it until I got what? there and told them. And so like it's stories like that that still Damn. stick with me. And then it's stories like um, the police that killed a mentally handicapped man mm. shot him multiple times. And when I got there on the scene, I had to tell his mother that he was gone. Mm. And a group of people in the community started to form because they was getting tired of it. This was like mm. the fourth body to drop at the police hands. And mm. uh, they don't know the difference between whether I'm a cop or not. So I remember having rocks thrown at me, being spit on that day, being called to Uncle Tom yeah, you with everything that you got to go through. But I knew that the police on a end, on the police end, that they were ready to pounce. So it was just negotiating back and forth between the crowd, being told by the cops, don't keep going back over to the crowd or she's going to get what we got for them. Mm -hmm. And then the, the crowd saying, we don't want to hear you, you wanted them. But eventually, like, pulling certain people out the crowd and being like, yo, help me advocate because it's babies in here. My niece was actually in that crowd because 
one of her aunts on another side of the family brought her. Mm. <laughs> and so it was like, all right, I got to make sure my niece make it home. Mm. And so after being able to break up that riot, I kind of remember just sitting on the curb and just being tired. And this this photographer captured a picture of it and it ended up getting syndicated in newspapers. I had like a cousin in Chicago was like, bro, like you on the cover of the paper. <laughs> and so it was like those were memorable moments that made me just say like, not because it like brought attention my direction, but it was just mm-hmm. like the serving the community has a purpose. And there was hundreds of men that like, I remember like, you know, bringing them to their house, like walking them through the process or like seeing them graduate from drug court. Um, getting people housed used to always be the thing, like like giving people shoes, you know, like when they, you see somebody, like living in your life with other people is like, it gives me a fulfillment. So when I moved here and didn't have like a lot, I had to hurry up and figure it out. And that's, that's where I kind of just was like, all right, how do I, you know, I went from like every day is just serving on these almost extreme levels. Mm-hmm. So I got here, had to get quiet, had to get my mental health yeah. together. That's a lot of PTSD, you know, yeah. so I had to do a lot of, you know, I go to therapy and if I have triggering moments, I start painting, I start, you know, putting my attention into other things so I can channel that energy and uh, figure out what's next, man. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, the pastoring, all of it. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. just kind of part of what I feel pastoring is. Yeah. Um, when I moved here, I got my chance to do like the straightforward what people think pastoring is. Mm-hmm. It was all right. Yeah. <laughs> it was all right. You know, it wasn't, um, you know, but I'm not meant to sit in a pulpit on and to be looked at on Sundays. I, I'm meant to disciples shoulder to shoulder, like, well, let's go in these streets. Let me show you what I know. You show yeah. me what you know. Like, let's make a difference. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not for the ceremony. Yeah. Like, I'd rather do it and then I'll leave before the cameras come. Yeah, yes. um, so yeah, that that's kind of my my attitude Ooh, towards. Yeah, it. that's deep. That's tough work. Um, that's kind of similar when my boy Roy Roy Moore, third twin. That's what he does. Um, what his job is, um, he was in the violence prevention. So anytime a violent, some violence happened where someone gets shot or stabbed or something, him or his team member shows up to the hospital, and they yeah. provide resources to the victim, and try and stop the retaliation. Yeah, now that's that's yeah. where it's at. That's yeah. the good work right there. Yeah, I grew up. My father was on was on crack, and like mm. when you see it, yeah, like you know when you see it firsthand and how it affects you. Mm-hmm. Like he went from selling dope to own dope to mm. selling it again to own. You know, so I watched that back and forth, like, and it, a lot of my close, like my brother and a bunch of other people that they was in the game. So it was just like hard to. I know the impact. Mm-hmm. And I was blessed for a while not to really take too many losses, but um, now, nah, like when when it's real to you, yeah. and it ain't about picking up a check or you know like mm-hmm. or capitalizing on 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 trying to create these these poverty porn yeah. storylines for people. <laughs> like when it's real to you, you rather just do it and get it done. And now yeah. you got it because you already got another one on the burner. It's always something to put out. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Wow. Man, so we're going to take one more break here and get a message from Thorn City Syndicate Management. When we come back, we're going to talk about the story, the storytelling project, and we'll talk about the, the Naturally Beautiful Project. All right. To the beach, y'all. 
Introducing Thorn City Syndicate Management, your solution for brand management, social media promotions, digital content distribution, and podcast production. From shaping engaging content that resonates with your audience to amplifying your brand's reach through podcasting, we're your partners in driving success. We offer free strategy sessions and leverage our recording studio and personalized strategies to establish an online presence. Your brand's journey to the top starts with Thorn City Syndicate Management, where innovation meets results. Contact us now at www.thorncitysyndicate.com to embark on the future path of transforming your brand's future. Cause this syndicate lyricist exists. Don't break one eye, baby, you just might miss. History in the making from the making of this. Third, I guess it's welcome back to these words. So I'ma come well like welcome backwards for sure. Yes, sir. Back in the spotlight, Andrew Morgan. So, yeah, man, tell me about the the storytelling project and how it allows you to impact um, teaching, filmmaking, and podcasting to young adults. I know we had a we had the opportunity to collaborate this past weekend. Um, shout out to the my youngster uh, Nate Bun, man. Got some some special stuff in the works with him. He's a good kid, man. He's excited to get into the podcast, and he he really enjoyed. Uh, yeah. Nah, I just having him, man. Like that's the future right there. Yeah, like for real, he's the future. Like, yeah, nah, it, it, he's he's the epitome. Like that story right there. I'm excited for y'all to hear what he what he has the potential to do, mm-hmm. and to just really help that potential become potent. Like, I'm I'm already a fan. Yeah, um, because he's finding he's he's aiming to try to find his purpose, and that's what the storytelling project is about. Um, I, I take my motto for the storytelling project straight from like a pop lyric where he says the powers and the people and politics they address. Mm. And so I find that we have to empower the youth by allowing them to be in charge of their narrative. Mm. If we teach them how to properly um, tell their story, then they don't have to wait for the news crew to come later. Mm. And I think a big part of that is I remember moving here and I worked on priced out uh, uh, as a post post-production producer uh, for that film and develop podcasts and other things for it. But what I noticed is I was sifting through like things that didn't make the cut. I'm hearing story after story of black people just saying like, yeah, man, North Portland was this, it was this. And part of it was no one came to tell their story until after gentrification is set in too late. And so for me, that really influenced me in starting the storytelling project and naming it something as simple as storytelling project. Uh, actually, his full name is God's Storytelling Project. Um, it, it, part of it, that influence is just to say, like, yo, I want to empower you and put a camera in your hand, put a mic in your hand, give you the skills to tell your story the way you want to tell it mm-hmm. now. Because when you go to school, when you go to college and do all these other things, they're going to tell you this is the proper way. And all those proper ways are going to be, uh, with you know, majority culture, white, basically white mm-hmm. storytelling. And our hero arcs are are sometimes look a little bit different. They're not always, you know, like Hollywood tends to call some of our our arcs, uh, you know, what they call uh, anti-hero. Where, <laughs> well, they're heroes, but they're black. You know, like like they they do things a little black. And like so, for me, there is there's nothing but pride and beauty in in, in our in what makes uh, uh makes up who we are. So whether you're black or white, and you hear this, it's like that that stuff you went through. That that's those shattered pieces always come together and make mosaic beauty. Like we can just got to step back. And so given skills, that's what it's about. Like I've been blessed with a natural gift 
um, that I don't know where it comes from other than God. Like when you put a microphone or a camera in front of me, I know exactly what to do. <laughs> so that's a blessing. So I try to teach that, uh, that intangible thing. When I identify it in someone, I try to help them cultivate that. Um, but then the other things I've had to work very hard to learn, you know, the tech part of it. I love to just give that away right away mm -hmm. because tech flows. And so like, you know, point me holding it because I'm sitting there like, oh, I learned the ATM mini now, but now we own to something else. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I need to be, so ain't no point in me holding on to it. Like I, I, I get, I believe in putting equipment in kids' hands, let them break it. We can get something else. Like it's God's will. It's yeah. God's bill. We're going to be all right. So naturally beautiful project on the flip end. It's like, I'm the executive director of it. And from the beginning, I started it with my wife as her desire to give back. So to go back to that Priced Out film, part of our influence in our original mission statement was to help individuals who are rent burdened. And we're thinking about how do we prevent like a, the next round of gentrification? Like, because they're going to come for the numbers next, right? And so in our mind, we was just like, well, you know, they're going to come to Vancouver, all the different places that people have been priced out to. Well, if they end up in a position where they can't pay rent or they, they're struggling to pay rent, they ain't going to do their daughter's hair. They ain't going to do their <laughs> son's hair. Like, they're going to braid it with an attitude, you know, in between shifts and stuff like that. So for us, we was like, bring your babies to us. We'll make sure you, we take care of their hair for free. And that was our way of giving our, like, that was our, we give a tie. Our business is tied, but that was our way of also giving, like, a, uh, it's this. It's based off of this theory from the Bible of like that Jesus in Matthew twenty three twenty three is like, yo, you know, you give your your, met, your deal and all this. Like you give your tithe, but you still give to people. Like those two things aren't separate. You can't do one without the other. And often we want to just do one and not the other. And so for us, we, that was our way of saying like, yo, we gonna do both. We gonna honor uh, this space in both ways. And so. Um, yeah, it started off, and, and here's the funny thing, and, you know, missions can drift sometimes. And I remember reading about mission drift and thinking about the example that, like, Harvard started off as a Christian college, but Harvard it is no way, shape, form, or fashion. You don't think of it as Christian, you know, <laughs> but mission drift, you know, and so we didn't want to be this organization that started off doing one thing and then we end up doing another thing, but another thing presented itself. And ultimately, we end up getting linked into the adoption community. We end up getting, uh, there was a, a prominent church here in town that had a handful of families that adopted a lot of uh, children from different African countries. And we end up doing one person's hair. They told the other person. And we end up every day, more than our actual real clients, we end up getting a lot of white women coming in <laughs> with black babies needing to know how to do those babies hair. Ah, oh, the mixed babies. And then we start getting mixed babies with white moms and white dads coming in saying like, I don't know what to do, you know? <laughs> and then what we, the other thing we started to discover with our clientele that was paid was that we were getting mixed women and some black women who had never had their hair braided before out of a lack of availability and comfortability within the community. So Portland at that point to them was represented as if you were black, if you knew, you knew where to go get your hair braided, but there weren't a lot of comfortable spots to do it. To go, yeah. And so that became another reason to like, so when I start vision casting for like, well, where are we going to be in five years? 
one, five years back then, I was like, and this was six years ago, you know, I was like, we want to be in a position where we help train and bring in some of those stylists to like, we need to create the next generation of stylists so that there's always somewhere you can go get your hair braided. Washington has already relaxed the laws. They call it African hair braider laws because an African hair braider came to them first. Um, and basically, it's no regulation in the state of Washington, which we're advocating right now. Um, we've written letters and we're advocating to try to get um, some regulations because we are concerned about safety, sanitation, as well as trafficking because hair trafficking, hair braider trafficking is a real thing where they... Wow. You see some of these shops where it's like five or six women working at one time, and it's like, well, who brought them and where they stand <laughs> and what's going on? Now, I'm not saying that that's prominent here, but it is a prominent problem around the country. So with regulation, that helps. Not saying that we need people all in our business, but we need some regulations, some, self, some health and safety regulations, just like we have in the state of Oregon, which Conscious Coils did an excellent job going down there and making sure that the legislators built a proper like curriculum that you have to pass, a sanitation curriculum you have to pass. Mm -hmm. And she did a really great work for Oregon Braiders. And we stand on her shoulders, like, you know, with what mm -hmm. we're doing. So what we want to do is get people certified out of the state of Oregon. So we pay for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we uh, make sure, and we even help people get, get started with their LLC on the business end of things. Nice. So we were, we've been blessed to do that for, through a few grants that we've been able to get, but yeah, the Naturally Beautiful Project is just over the past, you know, for the years, we were just doing families mm. and we, we really hit this point and we love our families and we mean no ill will toward anyone when we when I make this statement. It's like you hit a point where you start to plateau in any mission. Mm -hmm. And when you recognize you're plateauing, you're like, what's wrong here? What are we doing? Because the passion starts to, you know, like die down a little bit. And we start to notice we were serving this demographic, but we weren't teaching them. We weren't educating. We were just giving them a service. Yeah. And I didn't want my wife to be a mammy. Like I didn't want her to, I didn't want her to look up and like, all she's doing is just serving these people without, and she loves them and she's caring for them. And she cares about the babies mainly. And we were getting other uh, stylists involved and then that conviction came there to be like, yo, we got to implement education and curriculum for these families. There has to be some level of accountability to yeah. knowing how to take care of these babies' hair. Mm. And so we started really just pressing families and just saying like, hey, you're gonna have to sit down and learn how to shampoo, how to detangle. Like, you can't just sit here. Like some, we got to the point where some families were like dropping their kids off and just leaving. Just take care of them. And <laughs> we're like good with that because like you're leaving them with a, you're, you're leaving them with a black family. Mm. So that part, we was always cool, especially when the shop was still in our house. Yeah. Because a lot of these kids who might be in foster situations, apparent, like a, a lot of them, they've been snatched out of their black home and it was fractured. And I loved bringing them in the house. Yeah. And I was working from the home. So I'm opening up the door and they're seeing black art on the walls and they're seeing a black dad sit there and, and cheer them on. And like, so it was like we tried to create that dope environment just to say nothing's wrong with the family you have. Yeah. Like, love your, your family because they adopted you and they love you and they're worthy of you calling them mom, dad, or whatever. But I also want you to grow up and recognize that, like, your blackness isn't fractured, yeah. isn't the fractured part. Your parents made some mistakes. Your birth biologicals made some mistakes. Mm -hmm. But that's not innate to you because of your, your, your being black. Yeah. You're still beautiful. Matter of fact, you're like, that's what makes you beautiful. Mm -hmm. So come see yeah. 
this beauty in this this household, this community, and, and get get bigged up, you know. Like so, we we go to you know, we buy black books. We have people send us black books. We give books to the kids. I go over the third eye bag and try to get some books, you know, when I can, and and make sure that we just we keep black kids reading this material because a lot of parents sometimes like I'm not raising my kids to be black. Yeah, and they don't have because they don't have a basis. They don't know. And so they don't know they can't teach. Yeah. So I'm not, you know, never, never discouraging any of our clients or the people who come in and serve the Naturally Beautiful Project. We're, we're, we partner with them, mm-hmm. you know, so that's really a big part of what the Naturally, you know, Naturally Beautiful Project. We're helping transracially adopted families who are, you know, like to get that plug in to just figure out, hey, here's the culture. Here's how to do the hair care. Mm-hmm. And then we're also helping young stylists specifically BIPOC stylists who might want to hop into the game, we're going to train you. We, you know, we've linked up with uh, people like Revelations uh, Hair uh, Studio, and she's got her school. And so, like, we've built a space over at 3520 Southeast uh, Yam Hill. Mm-hmm. It was an old abandoned daycare. It had been abandoned since COVID, so it been just sitting there three years. Like, these kids left one day. It's still graham crackers on the desk, <laughs> thinking they'll come back. And then COVID hits, and they never came back. Came back. Oh, wow. And so I walk into the room, they're like, hey, what do you think you could do with all this space? And I'm like, I'm a visionary. I yeah. know what we can do with yeah. it. But first, I got to get all this rat poop out of yeah. here and, and get these old graham crackers up. And, you know, and so over the past year, that's what I've been doing. I, I put on the hard hat and uh, built up this space, man. And, you know. It, it's, you know, more space than what the Naturally Beautiful Project needs. So that's where the Storytelling Project partnered with Northwest Documentary, moved them in with us into the space. So now that, you know, that all that stuff kind of helps with funding and mm-hmm. helps us be, a, you know, as Northwest Doc's 20-year-old organization. So that helped me be able to say, okay, nice. where some people may not fund a new nonprofit, that 20-year-old one being a physical mm-hmm. sponsor, boom, you know, like mm-hmm. just leveraging community partnerships where I can and just, you know, like, yo, it's not a trick. It's like, yo, I love and I need you to help me love harder. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to love, I move on. Yeah. I literally move on and that's it. That's what we do. Man, man, that's tight, man. Good stuff, man. So we look forward to doing some more workshop work with you, man. Um, GMP podcast group is is really liking to get into the, the youth podcast workshop. So appreciate you coming through and sharing your story, man. How can people connect with you and get signed up for the the hair or the storytelling projects. Um, so with the Naturally Beautiful Project, uh, if you go to the naturallybeautifulproject.com, there's uh, a sign-up page under Naturally Beautiful Project Academy for the training. It usually has the dates. Um, we've, we were looking for larger cohorts, but now we're going to just do some more one-on-one. So you'll see a, cha- a shift in dates on that to be, probably be representative Tuesdays uh, every month. And uh, as far as we're going to open up booking at the beginning of the year for families to come in on Tuesdays. Uh, and then as I get a few additional, uh, I have one hairstylist who wants to cut hair for the homeless. And so we're going to open up booking dates for people who are experiencing homelessness who need a haircut. Um, and so we've got that going in a few. Uh, we've got Black Santa coming here in a few weeks. Oh, wow. uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot, man, that, that we do, but it's going to be, it's good. So you just head to nationallybeautifulproject.com. As far as the storytelling project, um, I do a lot of that work, uh, not necessarily 
with like as far as a public offering i do a lot of that like with groups like with you know partnerships with you or i, I have partnerships with uh portland school district uh portland public i teach a class for them and just find grants so that i can uh, i can be able to do things but if you go to the northwest doc uh nwdoc.org uh we will we have a list of classes and other offerings that are coming up real soon nice Man, good stuff, man. That's tight, man. Like I say, I like to encourage listeners to explore their passions and embrace innovation and pursue entrepreneurship in their own unique ways. Thanks for joining us. Explore the power of networking and find inspiration by following me at Thorn City Podcast Guy for updates, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, and to join the conversation today. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes of the Thorn City Syndicate Spotlight Show, where we continue to highlight individuals, businesses, brands, and podcasters. Don't forget to subscribe to the Thorn City Podcast Guy YouTube channel. Follow at Thorn City Syndicate, the management company, and at GMP Podcast Group, the production company. Make sure you drop by www.thorncitysyndicate.com. Schedule your free strategy sessions. Thorn City Podcast Guy, I like your boy. Appreciate you, brother. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Yes, sir. What man? What power? I appreciate y'all tuning in to another episode of the Thorn City Syndicate Spotlight Show, where we network and build connections, interviews, and discussions. Until next time, I like your boy, Thorn City Podcast Guy. I'm out. You remind me of a man.